everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, Senior Director at CFGI. This is the program where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. As always, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, today, I'm excited to have a, a good friend who's a guest on our program. He's a former CEO, currently the uh, managing partner at MSI Capital Partners. I'm talking about Bill Wilkins. Bill, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Well, hi, Dave. Uh, thanks for the invite. Uh, it's been a while, so it's good to see you. Likewise. Thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and about MSI Capital Partners, Bill? Yeah, gladly. Uh, I'm happy to. And uh, uh, from a Zoom perspective, uh, these uh, you know, these applications are extremely helpful during these kind of COVID-related things. So it means that business can actually get done. Uh, but uh, MSI Capital Partners, uh, we are um, an operationally focused uh, private investment firm uh, headquartered in the Philly area. Um, we make control investments in North American-based industrial businesses uh, serving both domestic and global markets. And uh, I'm the founder, but uh, myself uh, and uh, the rest of my partners now, we're all former senior executives, mostly CEOs, with uh, extensive uh, domestic and international you know, leadership experience. And uh, you know, we seek to invest in small to mid-sized manufacturing companies and industrial service-related businesses, um, particularly where um, our many decades of uh, industry knowledge and uh, expertise can be utilized essentially to achieve higher than uh, than average returns. So when you think of it from a metric standpoint, uh, you know, we will look for platform companies uh, with sales revenues, uh, with uh, sales uh, as, as small as 10 million, um, up to about 100, 100 million. And uh, from a profitability standpoint, we generally look for businesses that um, have profit as measured in EBITDA between three to 15 million. The other point that we would make is that when we make an initial investment in a company, um, you know, our uh, desire is to invest in companies that are headquartered in uh, in North America, although we uh, are willing to you know, make follow-on investments, you know, internationally um, as the business grows. So that's MSI, Dave. I appreciate that. You mentioned that, well, obviously yourself and your, your partners are former executives. How has that impacted what you do day to day and does it give you a competitive advantage? And just from the lens of having been in the seat of the business owner, how, how's that um, impact what you're doing, Bill? Well, it, it, it's certainly helpful. And uh, what it does, it, it differentiates us um, from, you know, from other investment firms um, in that, um, you know, we have walked in the shoes of the owners, uh, you know, or the the leadership team. So, so stylistically, um, you know, we recognize that in order to move the needle uh, in in a company, uh, change is going to have to come by, um, you know, uh, operational um, improvements, you know, operational efficiencies, changes in profitability, as opposed to the usual. Uh, well, what was the usual approach to you know, leverage buyouts, uh, where um, you know uh, shareholder gains were made through financial engineering? Uh, so 
we have the wherewithal since you know most of us have been in the saddle for over 35 years um our approach is one uh, more of uh, you know mentoring um and coaching uh which uh, i think is uh, the winning combination to be able to pull together the management team and ultimately transform the culture uh, and move the business forward yeah, I'd like to unpack some of what you just said there because it was interesting and, and, and unique at the same time here. Um, a coaching perspective uh, and a culture. Can you elaborate on both of those points, Bill, and, and how you, you know, tease those kinds of things out of the leadership team and what the impact is? Well, what, um, what we attempt to do, again, um, from, a, um, from a coaching standpoint, it's um, it, it's it's all too easy uh, to you know run a company from uh, from the board level um, and think that you're having an impact by just showing up at quarterly meetings. Uh, what we do uh, when we acquire a company is uh, we are essentially on the ground uh, from anywhere from six months to potentially eighteen months, pretty much on a full time basis where we're working alongside the the management team and what it really comes where where it really starts is uh, the development of what we view as being uh, an an executable strategy that is one that we develop not in a vacuum but we develop with the management team and we basically help them uh, execute uh, the plan and when it comes down to um, being a CEO, uh, more often than not, that particular role, you know, given all the uh, complexities associated with it and the number of um, constituents needing to be satisfied, it can oftentimes be the loneliest damn place in the world. Um, you know, as you're kind of sitting there thinking, well, what do we do next? But, um, you know, we are able to bridge that by bringing... Um, by bringing hands-on experience and you know being um, you know being advisors, if you will, to um, to the president or the CEO of a company, and also um, one layer down with the management team. Um, yeah. To answer your second part relative to culture, um, we generally like to think of um, our process as we go through due diligence and uh, acquiring a company we spend a good deal of time evaluating uh, the management team and it generally kind of revolves around um, transformation or the ability to uh, to do not necessarily more with less but to be able to um, accelerate the uh, you know the growth of a company or the trajectory of a company and it really starts out with asking three questions: Are you willing to? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to learn? And thirdly, are you willing to change? And the third piece is the most difficult. Uh, although there's generally a willingness to be able to want to change, the ability to change and and move to a higher level of uh, performance oftentimes can be pretty elusive. So that comes back to the mentoring relative to helping the uh, the team be able to um, you know reach levels of performance that they never believed they could achieve. 
Yeah, how often do you get three yeses there? Or how often do you, do you actually see the yeses get executed in, in practicality? Because you probably get the yeses, but then when you start to get into the hard work of actually doing it, it may change. It, 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 it generally does. Um, but for the most part, as, as, part of our, as part of our evaluation in, in due diligence, um, you know, we, can, we can read balance sheets and P&Ls uh, with, with the best of them. But making a bet on an acquisition, um, you know, David, it, it, it really is about the people. Uh, you're investing in people and, and their ability to be able to, um, you know, do better, execute well. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's getting, getting to the three yeses oftentimes um, is hard. And um, I would be untruthful. If I said to you that we have never, uh, you know, changed members of a management team, uh, we do. Uh, we do that relatively frequently, but that in of itself is a process, um, and you know, we give uh, all the tools that we can to to help people be successful. So it's not through the lack of trying. Yeah, and, and you know that that message about it's the people has a particular resonance with yours truly here. Um, but for those watching and listening, depending on where you get your data, uh, up to potentially 90% of merger and acquisition transactions fail to deliver on the, um, the synergies that are proposed in the deal. And the main reason for that failure to deliver the synergies is the people equation. It's the integration of culture. So spot on, Bill. I, I want to shift gears for just a little bit here into uh, kind of the investor mindset. Um, a lot of times investors may be reluctant to sell their business and they're often looking for what we like to call the second bite of the apple. Is that something that you can help them achieve? Uh, yes. I mean, the, the approach that we take um, is, um, is designed for um, entrepreneurs, um, you know, owners of businesses to have um, a second bite of the apple. More often than not, when, when a business is for sale, um, you know, whether it comes through the usual channels of investment bankers, or as we like to do, you know, develop our own deal flow, more often than not, the discussions with, with owners really revolve around um, they've reached a crossroads. And, that, and reaching that crossroads could be through a realization that they can't um, or don't have the wherewithal to be able to take the business any further than they have. Uh, secondly, um, there potentially aren't um, successors, whether they're members of family or, or whomever, to be able to take over that business in a reasonable transition. Um, and then thirdly, um, you know, owners may be staring down the barrels of, you know, a single a singular asset which is between them and retirement. And so the risk of, uh, of having, you know, for want of a better expression, having, you know, all of your eggs in one basket become, you know, a lot more profound. So what we, you know, generally try to do is to uh, engage the, the owner relative to figuring out, do they have an appetite to continue running the company or do they wish to stay on in some other capacity, uh, whether it be board or advisor related, which is um, something that we encourage? 
But then secondly, the ability to roll over um, a piece of equity into uh, a minority position in you know, what we would characterize as NUCO. So that's kind of the second bite of the apple um, that we try to, uh, you know, we try to encourage. Um, what it does also, it's an incentive for, you know, for owners to you know, continue to be on their game um, and also to recognize that the bill of goods that they're selling, um, you know, has to be, um, you know, what we think we're buying at the same time, uh, simply because they have skin in the game uh, post-transaction. Yeah, Bill, we're going to have to take a quick break here, but before we do, can you just tell the audience quickly how they can contact you if they want to learn more or work with you? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, my email address is my last name, Wilkins, W-I-L-K-I-N-S, at M-G-M-T-S-E-R-V.com, or go, or go to MSI's website, which is www.mgmtserv.com. Great. Thanks, Bill. On that note, we're going to take a quick break here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a quick break. Shemtob Dragonoski Taylor will help you move through and beyond your divorce. We are a full-service boutique family law firm located in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. We handle cases in Montgomery County, Chester, Bucks, Delaware, and Philadelphia counties. We have six highly experienced lawyers and have represented clients for more than 30 years regarding these issues. Our clients depend on us to sort through the complicated issues involved in divorce and division of assets, spousal and child support and custody. We listen to them, we gather the information, and we help them make informed decisions. We pride ourselves in our knowledge and our experience. We try to settle cases when we can, but we zealously advocate for our clients at trial as experienced and successful litigators. If you need help on any of these family life issues, please call us for an appointment at 215-542-2105 or check us out on our website at www.shemtablaw.com. Hey there, welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking with Bill Wilkins, who's the managing partner at MSI Capital Partners. Bill, I want to start this uh, next segment here with one of the topics that's near and dear to my heart, which is valuation. So a uh, couple of things here with regarding valuation. When we were doing our prep conversation, you used the expression bridging the chasm. I'd like you to share that and explain that to the audience, what that means. Oh, okay, um, so... What we're referring to there is um, trying to um, find common ground, you know, where um, where there are expectations um, that um, could potentially torpedo, um, you know, a deal at the best of times. So, what I mean by that is, you know, we 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 value a business, uh, you know, based it's kind of earnings based. And then we, um, you know, then we think about valuation from a cash-free, kind of debt-free kind of perspective. Um, the more often than not, um, sellers um, are very much in tune with their own business, um, but are unable at times to take a very dispassionate point of view on valuation. So they, you know, they are high essentially, and and we're somewhere lower generally 
and the chasm is the thing in between. Um, so the next question, I guess, would be how do we bridge that chasm? Um, and that would be in the form of um, an earnout. So we we try to make sure that the the seller understands that um, you know it's a it's a not necessarily an all cash transaction in the sense that um, there may be a delay in um, you know in receiving the full value of the business because we want to uh, reward the seller um, at a future point in time provided that the company continues to perform um, at uh, agreed levels and that measurement happens at agreed at agreed to uh, milestones yeah so that keeps uh, the leadership team fully engaged fully invested in the business driving towards those financial performance goals and it could in some instances the way the terms may get structured uh, result in at the end of the day a larger valuation than uh, what otherwise may have been negotiated up front is that fair yes yes it is and um, you know what we what we attempt to do um, at you know at all times is to be un unscrupulously fair um, so you know when you know when we look at um, kind of the post-transaction period, uh, that in of itself is, is um, the most critical part. And, and some folks talk about, you know, the 100-day the plan. Um, well, we, we look at at least 180 days in terms of looking at um, a, a playbook uh, as to who's on first, who does what, and it gets pretty detailed. Uh, unless we have the management team, uh, you know, which could ultimately be the uh, owners as well, unless they're glued into place uh, and suitably motivated, uh, then um, it's going to be difficult to be able to get uh, get a good start to the uh, you know to to the you know new co you know coming uh, coming into being. Yeah, you mentioned that. From a valuation perspective, you use something called EBITDA, and I think everybody pretty much knows what that is, but earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. But there's also a new letter being tacked on to the end of EBITDA. That's a C, EBITDAC, where the C is coronavirus. Talk to us about what your experience is. What are you seeing right now, Bill, with regard to coronavirus adjustments to EBITDA or this new EBITDAC? Yeah, it's... Um it's it's a source of it's a source of irritation uh, for us in particular. Um, you know, we we generally like to uh, do valuations on on businesses or perform back valuations on business relative to what you see is what you get. And so when when a, a business is looking to um, you know make a judicious. Uh, adjustments to earnings, saying, "Well, it it would have been this, you know, had the the market not responded or closed down for six months. This is where we would have been." Um, you know, we're empathetic to to that for sure, but it's difficult to uh, to place a valuation on something that isn't real. So um, I think that um, investment bankers. Um, are you know, contribute to some degree to um, to the um, the problem, but 
On, on the other hand, investment bankers also bring reality to um, to a seller at the same time. So, so hopefully, um, if there are adjustments, um, you know, they're they're relatively small. For for instance, um, in terms of uh, you know the uh, PPP loans uh, that um, you know companies have um, you know have been able to. Uh, you know, get from the uh, Small Business Administration, the SBA. Um, how are they handled, or is there visibility to to what the impact is, both on the income statement and the balance sheet? Those things need to be very visible, and they need to be uh, disclosed. So, you know, I don't wish to make the investment bankers out to be the bad guys. Far from it; uh, they're the good guys. But um, the bridge for earnings is the thing that is the most tricky. And, and we take a we take a, a position which essentially um, says, okay, we we will um, provide some some level of understanding and mitigation, um, you know, for you know the COVID period, but a business needs to stand on its own. Um, so you know, if we find ourselves with a chasm uh, on valuation, you know, our perspective is well. Uh, if if you do not wish to, um, you know, agree to the valuation we place on the business, then you know, kindly run it yourself uh, with the risk. Uh, manage through this period of time, uh, which we recognise can be difficult, and we'd be glad to talk to you uh, at some point when you're ready to sell. Um, so we we tend to push back on that, Dave. Yeah. And, and look, um, normalizing and non-recurring adjustments are normal in valuation from a historic financial statement perspective, but um, most evaluation is forward-looking. So when you think about the forecast that you're seeing right now, what kind of visibility do people really have into the future of the business in this environment? Well, it um, it, it really depends. Uh, that's the word. It, it depends, I guess. But uh, it, it, it really depends on the degree to which you know, the company or a company is purely book and bill or whether or not they have um, you know, backlog. Um, if, if a business has, has backlog um, and you're able, to, um, you know, you're able to see trends, whether it be downward, upward or, or flat, um, and the fact that um, you know, backlog has been executed on, uh, you may find yourself in a situation, particularly with uh, businesses that are, um, you know, that have long-term agreements, you know, Department of Defense kinds of businesses, aerospace kinds of businesses, for example. Now, they may have, um, you know, 12 to 18 months, you know, window uh, into, uh, you know, what's coming. Now, it, it doesn't mean that the customer could, uh, could or, you know, could uh, cancel uh, orders, for example, that happens quite frequently. But the, you know, but the, the those that are, you know, booked to, you know, booked to bill, uh, or book and ship, I should say, um, having visibility beyond um, probably uh, six to six to twelve weeks uh, can be can be tough, and that's where you need to really look at um, shipping trends historically. Uh, in order to be able to, you know, understand the seasonality and also uh, cyclicality of a business at the same time as you're trying to make some of these judgments, and that uh, that holds true particularly when you're valuing a business, kind of taking taking really two stakes in the ground, saying, you know, 
we recognize subject to quality of earnings that your you know your business operated at this level during the last 12 months so you're looking at ttm or trailing 12 months but we're saying okay we'll pay you this uh based on uh the forecast for the balance of the year and that could mean that there's three months left for the rest of the year or maybe even six months um and that's where um reality sets in and for the most part um you know we have uh, been using earnouts uh, more frequently in the last nine months than we have in many many years yeah way too much uncertainty these days as always but even more so now bill how can folks uh, reach out to you if they want to have a conversation well as i've mentioned um, the uh, the best way to reach me is uh, via my uh, uh, email which is uh, my last name, Wilkins, W-I-L-K-I-N-S, at M-G-M-T-S-E-R-V.com. That's my email. Or via the MSI website, which I invite you to go take a look at, which is www.M-G-M-T-S-E-R-V.com. And uh, you can leave me a message there, and I'll get back to you promptly. Great. Bill, I think we've got about 90 seconds to go in the program, but I want to try and sneak one more thing in for you. If you could perhaps share from your experience kind of a best practice, tip, advice, uh, trick, if you will, for the folks who are watching and listening who want to learn what are the things that you see that sellers, business owners are doing wrong that you have to come in and fix so maybe they can start working on that today. Um, really a couple of things. Uh, one is uh, timeliness of uh, reporting, um, you know, actual results. So um, management teams can't wait for six weeks until they know what's happening with the PNL. Um, that uh, that is something that we uh, we bring in, you know, immediately. The other piece is um, it, it requires uh, good skill and good expertise. Uh, relative to being able to see around corners or forecasting um, and weaving into that not only forecasting you know uh, sales for the business in terms of the direction the company's heading but also on a cash flow point of view so uh, you know we would be um, you know very remiss if we didn't uh, bring in uh, you know 13 week uh, rolling cash forecasts to, to to run or manage treasury related activities, but also sales forecasting, uh, being able to look out several months, uh, if not the balance of the year, uh, to be able to really uh, understand where the company is heading, and then also how to make course corrections if we see issues. So those two things, I think, are very fundamental building blocks. Great. Thank you for sharing that, Bill. And thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. It was great having you. My pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Great. And for you watching and listening at home, on your car, wherever you may be, thank you for joining us as well. We really appreciate your support. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a review, leave a comment, reach out, let us know what you're thinking, and stay in touch with what we're up to here. I'm Dave Bookbinder. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.